You're listening to The Tool Belt, a manufacturing podcast focusing on logistics, safety, operations, and breaking industry news. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of the Tool Belt Podcast. This is brought to you by Plant Services, and we're part of Endeavor Business Media's manufacturing group. Today's a special episode because it's going to be the 2023 System Integrator Roundtable episode. Um, earlier this year, we put a call out through the CSIA. We want to thank them for helping us to assemble today's podcast. Um, to see uh, who from the integrator community might want to come on the tool belt and talk to us about some of the key issues facing industry in 2023. And I am really delighted that we've got three terrific speakers and conversationalists here with us today. Um, Kurt Wakeman is the business director uh, for Materials Handling Group at eTech Group. Kurt, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Tom. Uh, next, we've got Bob Pusateri, who is Director of Business Development at EDC, or Electronic Drives and Controls. He's checking in from New Jersey. Bob, how you doing, man? Hello, Tom. And finally, Sam Hoff, who's the President and CEO at Patty Engineering. Sam's been on the podcast a couple of times before, and we are really happy to welcome Sam back for this one. Hey, Sam, how you been? Good. How you doing, Tom? Glad to be back. Oh, all right. We're just trying to help our listeners out through all the supply chain challenges and integration challenges to set up our conversations for our listeners. And we all know that operations in industry have been faced with a couple of huge integration challenges this year and last past couple of years with increased automation, uh, dynamic work scheduling requests and, and line changes, and also simply for the asset manager specialists out there, um, remote monitoring technologies. So we got a couple of questions we're going to talk to the roundtable about. They're all going to chime in, um, but we're, I'm going to ask Kurt if he can answer first on this first question. And it's a pretty high-level question, Kurt. In 2022, what kinds of integration work dominated your schedule? Are we looking at like IT, OT system integration, specific warehouse inventory automation, things like that? What what did you and the eTech group get up to? Yeah, absolutely. It's a good question. In 2022, you know, my main focus with the material handling business is automated solutions for e-commerce, distribution, fulfillment, and parcel industries. So, you know, we focus on customers like Amazon, Nike, FedEx, UPS, those types of uh, folks that are looking to automate their warehouses. Uh, most of the work that we do is in the U.S., but we're also seeing some growth in uh, Mexico too, and and that's great. So, um, you know. Automation, it's been around for a long time. It offers many benefits, uh, including you know, incre increased in throughput, improved quality. Uh, but most recently with COVID and the work from home and you know people's expectations on what they get from a job, we're seeing a lot of uh, labor shortages across the industry. Uh, people have higher expectations for what they're doing. They don't want repetitive tasks and automation can come in and uh, solve that problem. So a good example I have is a friend of mine um, from high school. He got a job at a warehouse and his job was to take a box, take it off one shelf and put it on the conveyor. And after working there for about four hours, he went to his boss, put in his resignation and quit. Hmm. Um, and so today, you know, we're seeing that machines can replace that repetitive task and not only replace that task, but create a need for jobs that are at a higher skill. And, and that that's going to benefit not only the worker, but uh, but productivity as well. So 
yeah, that's that's what I'm seeing uh, from last year, and you know the trends this year are shifting a little bit more, and I can get into that uh, with the next question. Um, uh, we'll go to Bob then. Bob, what kind of work did you and your team mostly do in 2022? What was on your calendar? Well, we're, uh, we kind of specialize in line retrofit. So we uh, make, uh, we breathe new life into an old system. So we do a lot of work in the um, metals industry for converting of, uh, you know, slitting lines of slitting steel, copper, alloys, that kind of thing. Uh, lots of work in the wire and cable, whether it's uh, electrical wire or wire rope, and also coating and laminating. So there's lots of lines out there that'll have, uh, you know, 10 to 20 motors and drives on them. Some of them have very old systems, DC drives that need to be converted to AC or mm-hmm. could be just an older generation of an existing uh, AC drive, right? Uh, maybe you have an old Rockwell uh, 1336 and you want to convert that to PowerFlex uh, 755, something like that. So that really dominates a lot of our work. And we, you know, those industries I mentioned make up most of our our industries that we tend to interface with, but mm-hmm. we you know we could do just about uh, any type of uh, PLC and drive retrofit, um, you know, in almost any industry. Hey, I'm curious, Bob. Do you see some of that work as being related to the reshoring initiatives that are kind of in the air as people take uh, bring business uh, either back into the country or want to refocus in North America, and and so there's a lot more brownfield opportunities or or, or changeover opportunities. Uh, some of it, we don't get involved too much in new plant construction. You know, where I would think mm-hmm. where a reshoring would happen would be that somebody would start up a new plant or maybe they would expand their building and add some some lines to existing uh, plants. We've done sure. some of that kind of work. Uh, sometimes the reshoring comes in the form of just increased throughput, right? So somebody has a line that you know, it goes, you know, maybe in our industry, 500 feet per minute, and they want to increase it to 700 feet per minute just to get more or just to improve their quality so that they have less scrap to get more good stuff out the door. So that might be a way that uh, to answer your question that we would see some business related to the reshoring. Okay. Well, then we'll move to Sam um, and, and thinking again, in 20, 2022, when we were still managing the COVID pandemic, I know we're still managing a lot of it, but the, we're still coming out of the crisis part of it. What sort of integration work was dominating your schedule uh, last year? So it it has really been important over the last, uh, I mean, <laughs> we're going up on uh, three years of uh, COVID now, right? Um, yeah. March of 2020. So it's been over three years. People don't realize that. And um, it it's all about helping our clients do more with less, right? They 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 the the workforce issue is really a big issue. Um, lots of maintenance and and keep people retiring, keep people to keep operate, keep systems operating, and um, you know ha- what can you do to clients to improve their OEE improve their first time capability and and help them produce more with less people. Uh, sometimes it's adding, you know, a robot here, a robot there, but a lot of times we're going in and and it's it's getting the data out of the systems and doing the analytics on the data and seeing what's going to give you your most bang for your buck. So we are working with a lot of our end user clients kind of mapping out what their uh, what their future looks like and how they can produce more with less. Interesting. Well, I'm I'm struck by the wide variety of different work that we've got to hear from integrator partners. I mean, it's it's 
anything from again at, at turning over drives to to helping auto, increase automation to to cover up uh, resourcing gaps. Um, Bob, if I could check in with you on the second question for the roundtable today, um, does 2023 to you look different at all from 2022? Do you see new opportunities in the horizon for this year? Maybe in the distant horizon for next year or the year after that? Uh, not not too different for us. Uh, what does change for us is we we tend to go in waves in terms of a particular industry. We'll do a lot of wire and cable one year, and then the next year it'll be metals converting, and the next year it'll be processing or something like that. Okay. I would say maybe we're going to be doing working with more OEMs, kind of to Sam's point, you know, trying to do more with less. We become the de facto electrical engineering department and controls department for some OEMs. We don't do a lot of that kind of work, but there are a few people that we know uh, where they are so busy that uh, they ask us to do projects for them or uh, they just don't have the staff anymore or maybe never did have the staff and they'll do the mechanicals and then we'll do the electrical part of it and do the startup and make, make everything work. So we probably are gonna be doing a little bit more of the OEM type work this year than we have uh, in the past couple, but again, it just for us it kind of comes in waves you know depending on which industries are spending money or how pro or sometimes you know it's just supply chain issues when you can get get products you know that that's something we're all experiencing obviously yeah sam let me turn to you um do you see uh, differences in the kind of work later this year and in next year from the kind of work you've been engaged in so so i think if you take a look at at, at the uh, typical adoption curve yeah. On the whole uh, uh, digitalization and all, I think we're really moving from the early adopters to the early majority on that. People mm. understand that they do need to do digitalization. You're getting less um, uh, pushback on that, um, you know, and, and I think people are really kind of understanding. Um, I know that our business it, it continually gets more and more consultative in nature. Hmm. Um, and, and when we're coming in and we're, we're helping them look at their OE, look at their data, look at the controls and how that works on it, you invariably get into some industrial and mechanical uh, aspects of the uh, project as well. So we've been learning some new tricks on our end and bringing in some uh, proper partners and all that stuff. But it's really growing to a con consultative role to our clients. Our goal is to become a trusted advisor to our clients. So, and that that you don't do that on day one. You do it through success. Well, uh, Kurt, let me let me pose that question to you. Uh, do you see a big change in the kind of work that your team will be doing in 2023 or beyond versus the last couple of years, or do you see the the same kind of workload increasing? Yeah, I, I do think that 2023 looks a little different based on some of the economic challenges we've been facing. Um, customers tend to be investing a little bit more in existing equipment as opposed to buying new systems. Mm -hmm. you know, they're they're a little bit tighter with their money and their investments. So. You know, we've seen a big uptick in demand for recontrols, mods and upgrades, ITOT assessments, things of that nature. Um, you know, and, and we're also seeing with that same line, uh, we're seeing a transition away from PC based controls to PLC based controls. You know, a lot of the big OEMs offer the proprietary intellectual property, you know, software that uh, comes with uh, lockdown. There's no no available source code. And um, you know, we're seeing customers demanding more open source um, I'd say uh, agnostic software that can uh, drive consistent visualization, maintainability, regardless of what mechanical equipment is being provided. Um, so, you know, uh, Recontrols has been a very popular 
uh, offering that we've pursued in 2023. Um, and then kind of in the same line of that too is uh, customers are demanding more extensive vendor qualifications, uh, including mm-hmm. certifications. So, you know, we've put a big uh, investment aside to get our team trained in Rockwell, Siemens, Ignition, Aviva, to name a few, uh, just to make sure that, you know, we're going to be competitive, uh, um, you know, as as the uh, as the need is there. So that's what I'm seeing. Interesting. You know, on, on the on the asset management side, what we've noticed is that when it comes to certifications, it's always good to get your uh, technicians and managers certified with, say, a CMRP, for example, certification, if you can. But it's getting more and more difficult for a single plant to staff all the expertise you need. You can't, say, have a level two vibration technician and a level three infrared technician and 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 so a lot of times you've got you've got to find partners who are who are qualified in the in these various specialty areas all right well sam let's talk about game-changing technologies there are a lot of companies innovating out there what are one or two technologies that you and the team at penny engineering have seen as being game changers for industry lately so one emerging technology that we've been really using in our tool belt over the last year or two are some of the uh, simulation tools that have always kind of been there, uh, you know, as far as like the uh, Siemens process sim and plant sim, and we're really able to create that. uh, uh, And and there's a big difference between a simulation and a digital twin. I always try to tell people this. A simulation is only a model of what your manufacturing system is doing or your system's doing or your plant's doing. A digital twin, you actually have to feed the data back from the real world into that simulation, Hmm. fine-tune that simulation so that you get a true digital twin of of your system. And what that allows you to do once you have a true digital twin is um, instead of conjecture or experience to say, what can I do to improve this system? You can actually model your improvements in the digital world before wasting any money actually like uh, uh, putting systems in in the the real world so so we're using a lot of the uh, digital tools that have been used traditionally for design of these systems up front to uh to, to create the digital twins so that's really been kind of a uh pretty cool uh stuff that we've been doing over the last couple of years and in, increasing doing that so I was just going to ask Sam if he could elaborate on that. Maybe give us a little bit more of an example on how that works, because you hear those buzzwords all the time. And, uh, you know, just more specifically how you put that into action or or an application example, maybe. Sure. Sure. I'll give you an application example. So we had a client that um, doing uh, machining of um, engine blocks right and and basically they have a line that's feeding all these operations down the uh, line and a robot picks the uh, part off a main line a seven axis robot delivers it to the cnc machines and then the the machine uh the cnc machine machines depart for a couple minutes or whatever the robot comes back picks it up so it's feeding five or six different cncs at the same time and they they really had uh throughput issues on um the uh, one system so what we did is we created a digital model of that we took the production data off the digital model and fine-tuned it and that's not easy right i mean one of the things that uh, i i think that we do a poor job of is ever really analyzing and just kind of looking through manufacturing data. But we we um, 
perfected so that the digital model actually matched the real world production model. And then what we did was we could run what if scenarios on seven different ideas that seven different stakeholders had on how to speed this up and see which one of those sevens gave you the most bang for your buck and then assist the client in implementing those changes. So that's kind of um, a, a real world example of that. So that's great. Thank you. Yeah, that's I can't even imagine how long it would take seven different rapid prototypes to work without that digital help. Yeah, exactly. And who knows? You you go to do one of them because you you say, okay, that's it, you know. And 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 we're talking about the changes were anywhere from two hundred and fifty thousand to one and a half million dollars. So you know, do you want to <laughs> invest that, or do you do you want to do do you want to spend you know one hundred and fifty on the the front end to to make sure that you're going to or a hundred grand on the front end to make sure that you're going to do exactly what what the bang for the buck is going to give you. So, wow. Yeah. And for all the asset management specialists out there, you don't even have to touch the actual physical machine and, and risk introducing new errors to it. It's digital. Exactly. So, wow. Yeah, we use, we use a lot of emulate 3D in our industry to, to get those uh, presentations to the customer and let them see uh, the visual of what the machine's going to do. They love it. Yeah, and that, that always helps on the front end, but and and how can you maintain that digitalization throughout? You know what I mean? So, yeah. Cool. Well, Kurt, let me ask you, um, technologies that are changing the game in your area of expertise here. Right. So I was actually in Chicago back in March and I attended the trade show ProMat. And uh, ProMat's a big material handling trade show, happens every other year in Chicago. Uh, and what I saw was a huge effort to, again, eliminate uh, uh, repetitive tasks and uh, automate manual processes. So this could be done through um, solutions like ASRS, uh, autonomous robots, automated picking. Um, there was actually one display that really stood out to me, and it was uh, by Exotech, uh, and they made they had the system called a SkyPod system. So the system, it's modular. It um, it has automated storage and retrieval via autonomous robot, um, and the autonomous robot feeds into an automated uh, robot picker. Uh, and so you look at the system and there's literally not one human interacting with this system and orders are being fulfilled. And, you know, you think about what goes into making this happen. And, you know, AI is a big part of it. Being able to leverage vision systems, historical data, uh, different algorithms and to optimize moves and navigate obstacles just to be able to operate autonomously. I think that that is what is going to change the game in, in my industry and probably other industries within automation as well. And you're going to see a lot less people in these buildings. Oh, that's tremendous. Oh, well, Bob, let's let's talk to you. Uh, innovations in, in your neck of the woods. Well, I think uh, like everybody else, just the um, ability to send everything to the cloud, right? So, uh, uh, okay. you know, just drilling into the PLC, getting your tags that you want and uh, taking, uh, you know, line parameters and different uh, uh, data points, registers, et cetera and putting that into the cloud and contextualizing it. Uh, you know, some will use OEE and, and those types of uh, metrics and others just want to look at the raw data. They just want to see trends. They just want a historian. Um, but we've been doing a little bit more in uh, in that field. And that's just such a, I think it's just such a huge uh, benefit for a lot of people. And it's allowed us to go back to some of our existing customers and offer them some additional services. 
Well, let me ask a wrap-up question on sustainability. It's kind of a buzzword, but also I do think we have a sustainable moment that's upon us. Where, uh, and I raise this question because at a couple of trade shows, I've seen an increasing number of software providers uh, explaining that they're getting requests from their clients to build modules out to record um, carbon footprint of operations, right? Um, and that's going to take a lot of integration work between uh, systems that talk to each other to actually get that data. So I, I was curious to know, um, wh what are you seeing in this area? Are, are you getting requests for work that way? Are you observing that sustainability is changing sort of the way integrators have to can approach the business? Uh, I, I'll say this. I, I don't know, and you guys may agree with this. I, I go into uh, facilities all the time and I just see them throwing money down the drain, whether it's uh, transfer efficiency within their paint systems, whether it's conveyors that are running all night, um, even mm. while people are at home. And, um, you know, th there's just so many ways that that they can uh, save their carbon footprint by just taking a look at the waste in their facility. And, um, you know, we're we're working with some of our clients to to figure out how to do that, right? How to how to reduce their carbon footprint and and help them save money at the same time because as energy cost goes up this is going to become more and more important to them yeah i agree that's what i would say is there's just so much uh capacity or opportunity i should say for uh energy improvements you know whether you're we do a lot of work in uh, new york city where they have you know skyscrapers and large campuses and and mm. hospitals and things and and there's Believe it or not, there's still a lot of people out there not using variable frequency drives, and you know the relationship between uh, power and speed is is cubic for a fan and a pump. So if you can reduce the speed just 10% on a fan or a pump, you know you you get uh, you know almost 30% of the energy reduction. Um, you know, and that starts to get close to what you can do with LED lighting, right? Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, a lot of the work that we do is because companies uh, have old lines, old equipment that they know uh, are huge energy drains or huge material drains because they're wasting so much product or because they're maybe a certain section of the, of the line is required. I uh, was requiring someone to, to babysit it where it should just work by itself. Maybe the function functionality isn't there, so they want to you know, kind of resurrect that functionality so that they don't need someone to hand feed something or to poke it with a stick every, you know, five minutes, whatever, whatever you need to do. So those types of improvements uh, drive, you know, what you would call sustainability improvements. I, I took a little different spin on this question. Um, you know, interestingly, eTech is part of a, a big project uh, with a customer that uh, wanted automated indoor farming solution uh, to grow products such as like lettuce, basil, microgreens. You know, they, they distribute these locally to our, um, our you know, grocery store in this area. And, um, you know, this customer advertises processes that use 100% uh, renewable energy, 95% less water, and can grow 300 times more food per square foot than traditional farming. So like, you know, I think about like, what are our customers doing? Maybe customers that historically were not in automation, we are now enabling them to get into automation and then also reaping the benefits of the sustainable uh, culture. Kurt, you're taking me back to a conversation I had even in 2019 out in California with someone who was doing a digital wine. 
and making sure that they understood the exact variables, pressure, temperature that went into the best batches of wine. And they were loading the data into the pie system and, and trying to reproduce those conditions. So I, I hear you when you say, yeah, that's, these technologies would be applied in ways that uh, are, are all new. Well, guys, I we come to the end of our question set. I want to thank you for a really illuminating integrator roundtable. Again, we've had Kurt Wakeman from eTech, Bob Pusteri from EDC, and Sam Hoff from Petty Engineering. Guys, thank you so much for being here today. Thanks for having us. My pleasure. Thanks for having us. All right. Me. Thanks, guys. Have a great day. Nice being here, guys. You too. Yep. Bye. Take care.